I was thinking about that scripture in the book of Genesis where in creation of man, he said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the creeping things that creep and over, over all of his creation. And I saw a parallel between that particular scripture and the scripture that had to do with Jesus Christ who came on the scene, the last Adam. When Adam, uh, when Jesus began to speak to his disciple, uh, his first disciple in Matthew chapter 4 in verse 19, he says, then he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. First, we see where he says, let us make man let us make man. We see the formation. And then we see where uh, Jesus was saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the title I'm using tonight is God made and Christ transformed because we're going to look at the parallel between the two, how we were made, how we were made in the image of God and in the likeness of God. But yet, Jesus invites the man that was made or formed to be transformed. And that's what was happening when the invitation came when he says, follow me. He was really, this was restoring man to his rightful place and through him extending an invitation in reaching out to others. He is saying that I'm bringing you back to the place that you were to occupy. But not only that, you will become an instrument of restoration and reconciliation as I will make you to become fishers of men, bringing men into the fold. That's what he talks about. When I heard the word fishers of men initially, you think, what is that? A fisherman of men. And, uh, but then if you really begin to look at it, he is saying the same techniques or similar techniques that are used in fishing for fish. He says, since you're accustomed to using those techniques, we're going to show you how to use those, uh, use the techniques that I will share with you so that instead of catching fish, you will begin to catch men. I will extend, and this is what the Lord was really saying. If you really want to look at what Jesus Christ was doing, he was saying, I am I will extend my reach through you. I will extend my reach through you. I'm reaching out in order to bring men or people into the fold. But now what I'm doing, I won't just do it myself, but I'm going to do what I'm doing through you. I will make you. I will make you. And he is really saying you will become I, I will transform you into becoming something that you had never been before. That's another way of putting it. You will be transformed. You will not be the same person any longer. The person that you were before I called you would not be the person that you would have become once you've been called because something would have changed and, and as you continue to engage in the activity of catching men, not only will it do them good, but it's also going to benefit you. Something more work is going to take place within you as you engage in the work to which you've been assigned.
And understand when he said that to the first disciples, he's also saying the same thing to us. He's saying to us that as we engage in that work, it's not, it's benefiting them, yes, but at the same time, it's benefiting those who would engage in the work to which we've been assigned. Because what is happening, this in and of itself is a part of our being made. As we are engaged in fishing for men or reaching men, we are being made through our efforts in being obedient to the Lord and carrying the passion of Christ to the rest of the world. So with that, uh, what the Lord is concerned about, and he has made it very clear to us, and you'll hear a lot about this as we continue on. He's concerned about the formation of character, the, the formation of character. He, he's really saying that what, what I'm, I want to happen within you, I don't want you just to be engaged in some particular activity, and it's easy to reduce it to activity alone. He says, I don't want you just to be involved in some activity, but what I want to do through the process of your involvement and your engagement, I want, to, I, I want to bring you to the place where your character is being formed. In fact, now you begin to reflect the very character of Christ. Uh, that's your hidden life. Uh, that, when you talk about the, the whole thing of transformation, what the Lord is helping me to understand is that he's taking the life that is within and he is making it visible. He is making the invisible life, the inner life, visible making the inner life, the external life, so that you're the same way on the outside as you are on the inside. So it's not a twofold. It's not a, it's not a contradiction. Your life is not a contradiction, that you're one way on the outside and another way on the inside, or one way on the inside, another way on the outside. But he's saying that you are freed from living a contradictory life because you see the sameness uh, from the outside uh, as well as what's taking place in the inside. Uh, it, it, now, now, as you think about this, you have to understand what God is saying. When he made us, he made us in such a way, the Lord was in fact saying, I have a plan for your life. I didn't just make you, but I have a plan for your life. There's something, you were made with a purpose. You were made with an intent. I have a plan for your life. He says, now, now that I've made you, I want you to carry out that plan. But here's what he is also saying. I have a plan for your life, and, and what have I given you? That's the question. Now that I have a plan for your life, what have I given you? What have you been afforded to manage? And, and, and oftentimes, that's not, uh, not, not enough consideration has been given to what God has placed within our hands. In fact, he says, that's what he's saying in essence, what's in your hand? What, what is in your hand already? You can look at the things that you think you need, the things that you consider to be lacking in your life. But the Lord is saying, what's in your hand right now? As it was with Moses, when Moses uh, was, was sent uh, to, to actually free uh, the children of Israel from bondage, from Egyptian bondage, the Lord asked him, he says, what's in your hand? He says, well, I've been carrying this thing around. It's just a rod. It's just a rod. But what the Lord said, he said, you didn't know that you were carrying with you 
that which could be using, be used for a larger purpose because you had grown accustomed to merely seeing it as a rod. He says, so now what I want to do, I want you to cast the rod down and it turned to, you know the whole story, it turned to a serpent. He said, now grab the serpent, it turned back to a rod again. He says, now it's no longer the uh, Moses rod, it's the rod of God. And, and, and he is saying, now what I want, whatever has been placed within your hands to manage, I want you to dedicate it to me. Whatever has been placed in your hands to manage, I want you to dedicate it to me. What's in your hand? And, and, and then as we begin to look at what's in our hand, what we already have that we are to dedicate to the Lord, then God will cause that which we're managing to be used in ways far beyond we could ever imagine. And then the second thing, the other question as we look at the position God, first of all, formed us, God formed, he says, where are you? Where are you? Uh, where are you? Uh, you? You know, that's a question. You probably heard that even when Adam had sinned and Adam transgressed from the Lord. And then the Lord asked him the question, not that God didn't know where he was, but God asked him the question, where are you? Where are you, Adam? And it was saying, Adam, I want you to identify your location. I want you to tell me where you think you are, because I know where you are. But the question was really to Adam to recognize his own location, to identify his own location. He said, where are you, Adam? Give some thought as to where you are. Now, when we begin to think about trans this whole thing of formation and transformation, that's the question that God has for us. Where are we? Why are you? And, and then he says, and why are you there? Why are you there? Listen to the questions now. Questions, you, you see, I always say that when we ask the right questions, that means that God is putting us in the right position. You see, we wouldn't even ask these questions lest we are postured to ask these questions. He says, so, he says, so why are you here? He says, why are you in the place that you're currently occupying? You, you see, why are you there? Why, where have I placed or positioned you? Where have I placed and positioned you? A lot of folks say, you see, what happens, people say, well, I need, I need a different location. I need to be in a different geographical location. I need to be in a new in relationship. I need to be in a different environment. You see, a new church. I need, you see, the thing is that it's easy to become very antsy and to be in a place where we become, re people become restless as to where they currently are, but understand what the Lord is saying. He says, what I'm going to do now I have formed you, and I placed you where you are, but understand, we have to come to a place of asking the question, why am I here? There's a purpose for God placing us wherever he places us. You're not just here by coincidence, but understand, you're here by divine providence. You're here by divine providence. And, and, and understand, before you get an answer, let's begin to... Ask the right questions so that we can understand where we are, why we're here, and, and understand what God is able to do. See, those desiring to be some, there's always people desire to be somewhere else. You see, this happens. Things ain't working right, and I, I, I want to be somewhere else. Or, but here's the other thing. There are a lot of people, and I would say cross the mind to, for most, where they want to become somebody else. They're not even satisfied with themselves. You begin to talk about the dissatisfaction in relation to position, but understand where it really, it, it generates from 
is the dissatisfaction within oneself. People are not satisfied as to who God has made them to be. So therefore, the desire and the passion is to be somebody else. See, see, God's will is to develop you into becoming all that you were meant to be. That's God's objective. His objective is to, first of all, to meet you where you are, you see, to use what you have to developing you into becoming all that he intended for you to be. That's God now. And you say, well, God, you mean you can do that much? He's God. He's God. What can't he do? God can do that. So, so, so this is what he said. He said, then, then if that be the case, if that be the case, if we are what we're supposed to be, if we have what we're supposed to have, you, you see, and all of those things are, are in position, as God would have them to be positioned, then why is it that you and me and many others keep stepping out of line? Why is it that one would step out of line? You see, and understand, straying from the path that God had ordained for our lives. You, you see, so, so this word is a correction to us so that in this new year we've stepped into, we don't want to be out of place. We don't want to be out of position. We don't want to be in a place where we are, uh, we are looking beyond that which God has given and, and understand and, and not really taking full advantage of what God has given because contained in what God has already given are his promises. God is saying, when I develop it, I'm not going to develop it out there. I'm going to, I desire to develop it right here where you live right here and now. Now, now, now we talk about straying from the, the path that God has prescribed for our lives. They call that waywardness, being wayward, having a, a being wayward. This word wayward, difficult to control or predict because of unusual or perverse behavior. Now, understand we talk about perverse. It's when one begins to step out of line. He is or she is doing something other than that which God would have uh, the individual to do. He's saying they call that waywardness. That's a person that has left the path. They have stepped away from the course that God has ordained for their lives. The Bible says there is a way that appears to be right for a man, but the end thereof leads to death. So waywardness, if it isn't, if it isn't addressed and if it isn't managed, where we begin to arrest it, will lead to death. The path that appears to be oftentimes the path of least resistance but it can lead to death. This is what the Bible says. I love this scripture. I, I, I read it many times, and it just really reached me where I am here in Psalm 139 and verse uh, 7. This is what the psalmist said. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go? Or where can I flee 
from your presence. You, you see, he's talking about going from the Spirit of God, uh, and, and where, in other words, saying that God sees us and he's with us where we go, but where can I hide from your presence? If I send into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Ask Jonah. And it says, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. See, even the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Oh, that's a psalm I think we need to see la. We need to meditate upon. Just to think about it is that there's nowhere we can go from the Spirit of the Lord. Nowhere we can flee from the presence of of the Lord. In other words, the Lord says, He says, wherever you are, I already know what your I know what your location is. When you when you stray to the left or the right, the Lord says, even though He is saying, it, it, it's pretty much how many of you have that GSP in your car? What do you call it? GPS? GPS in your car. How many have GPS in your car on your phone? Yeah, and, and, and when you put that GPS system, when it set it, it, it will begin to say something to you, won't it? It will say, turn uh, right, turn left. It will give you direction. But when you make a wrong turn, what will it say? Recalculating or rerouting. Why? Because it's saying that now you have gone in a direction that was not ordained for you to go. So to recalculate in 2023 is to get back on the right path. That is saying. So, so what he is saying to us, he is saying, when people begin to say, here's what happened. He's, it says that, you say, now a person has begun to go become wayward. He's moving or she's moving in a direction that God has not ordained. Making decisions and, and understand they are irrational in the heart and mind of God, even though they may make, sense to the, may make sense to you. But when you make that particular turn and go in that particular direction, the voice of God will speak and say, recalculating. It is saying, there is a way. He said, there's no sin that you have accomplished. There's no thing that you might have done where the Lord has not already ahead of time made a way for you to escape. No temptation that would come your way where the Lord has not made a room for escape. He said, and then if you fall into sin, he is faithful just to forgive you of sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So what is he saying? He is saying your life now is going through a recalculation. He is saying I'm bringing you back to where you supposed to be because understand the place that you supposed to be is your strategic place. That's your place of safety. That's the place of safety. That's the place where God can do his greatest work within your life regardless of what it may look like to you. We haven't taken the time to analyze and to really pay attention to, to the positioning of God. To really take the time and give attention to the fact how God has 
He's so strategic. How he can get you at the right place at the right time for the right thing to occur. That's how, that's how God works. And understand when God does that, he is saying, I, I, I brought you here. You say, well, why me? Why now? The Lord said, there's a reason. You might not understand it, but that's when trust comes in. Much to be gained and attained. If you could just, here, here's what you need to do when you don't understand what's going on. Stand still. Stand still. Stand still. Stop, don't make any rash moves. Don't begin to become so irrational and so, so, so uh, antsy that you begin to move to the left or right. He said, just stand still. Just stand still. Stop, stop your activity until you hear from me. Stand still and see the glory of the Lord. God says, he says, stand still. He said, in that time of still stillness, God will speak. And, some, and, and let me tell you what the Lord will say for the most part. God will not speak to you about anybody else, but for the most part, he's going to talk to you about you. Isn't that something? You say, Lord, I, you, you see, oftentimes he's so busy looking at everything else and observing everything around us that we don't really pay attention to what God has to say to us, what God said to you. He has a message that he wants to get across to you as an individual. He said, this is, you see, he asked you, where are you? Where are you? Now, here's what happens. For the most part, we think we know where we are. Well, here's where I am. I'm, I'm standing right here at this particular time, and, and this is what I'm doing. But the Lord said, that's what you see. But let me tell you what I see. I see something much different than you see. I see people around you that's there to help you develop into becoming what I've called you to develop, be developed into. I see the fact, even the people that rubbed you the wrong way, I permitted that because there's something about even those people that are around you, they're there to help make you. Because you understand what he's talking about. We, we said that the Lord, when he started, we started talking about how the Lord, God, is the one that we were born of him, and he's where it all began because he made us. But it's Christ who, forms, who, who transforms us. And, and understand, we are in need of transformation. He says, I want to change you beyond what you're seeking, how you're seeking to be changed. I want to take you beyond that. So much, you, you see, we stand, uh, we, we begin to see him. And here's what I looked at it this way. I said, when we're standing still and seeing the salvation of the Lord, here's what we need to do. Savor the moment. Savor the moment. I was thinking about, uh, when, I, when, I, when I was meditating on this, I was thinking about something, uh, going to a, a restaurant, five-star restaurant, eating a, a, a five-course five meal, four five-course meal. And, and what happens, you, you don't rush a meal like that, do you? You don't rush a meal. You take your time and you just, take your, you just savor them. You want to taste every morsel because you realize this ain't cheap food. This is costing a lot of money, and, and whoever paid, picked up the tab is picking up a pretty healthy tab, so you don't just gobble it up like you would uh, something that you're just trying to eat it on the run. So, 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 so after, but here's what happens. As you begin to savor the food and, and, and how delectable it is and everything else, then you're taking in the, the ambiance, everything about that moment you're taking in. But let me show you the opposite of that. 
is when you're being fed intravenously. You see the difference? If you're being fed intravenously, now you're not seeing anything. What happens, feed, food is being injected into your system in order really to keep you alive. Are you hearing anything here? Are, are you seeing what happens? Our experience with God, our walk with God ought not be merely to survive, but we are to savor the moment. There are some things. If we begin to, if we begin to think, where am I? Why am I here? What is God what is God doing in this particular moment? And we begin to really savor the moment. Then what happens, we begin to grow in our appreciation of God because we begin to give him the credit for the positioning. You say, God, you place me here. And, and, and understand, I, don't, I wouldn't have to. It's not that I just have to be here, but you fixed it for me to be here at this moment. And understand, as I savor the moment, I'm enjoying uh, or every moment, every hour. You see, when we come to church, it's not just a matter of we get our shot, I feel better now, and move on. But we must, and I like it sometimes when, when I see you lingering around, enjoying each other's company. You see, rather than just doing a job. Well, I did my job. Can you imagine you do your job? You just, you clock, clock in and clock out. I had a job. I had a job. One job I had, I, I didn't like it. I just didn't like it because they treated me bad. They didn't treat me right. It was in one of those places that, uh, you know, racial issues were there. And uh, I worked in the, that office. And what I would do, I would make it a point to stay outside as long as I possibly can. When it's time to walk in, I would clock in. You know the story. You clock in on time. And then you're watching the watch when it's time to leave. Huh? You're not going to spend a minute after, over time, but when it's time to leave out, you're waiting. You're, you're almost <laughs> ready to run to the door when it's time. Well, I put in my time. I put in my time. I gave you what you paid me to do. Therefore, I got paid. I'm happy. I did the work. Hopefully, you're happy too. But something is lacking. There's no heart in it. I, my heart is not joined to this whole thing. So what happens as a result of that, I can't save the moment. I'm at a place where I'm just doing my job. I'm doing my job. How was work today? Is work. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. It was work. It was a job. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm, see, see, see but, but it's a different story when we come to the place where we begin to enjoy what God has done and what God has given. This is how Jeremiah 3 and 22 puts it in the, uh, in the New English translation. He, say, he says, now, he says, people have strayed away from God. This is what he's talking about. Look at the city. They're strayed away from God. They had gotten to the place where their relationship with him was merely out of obligation, law, you, you see, the laws and uh, those kind of things. And for the most part, they were violating the laws because you, you could go so far when you are engaged in robotic activity, when you're merely mechanical in your uh, expressions. This is what he says here. The, the Lord spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, come back to me, you wayward people. 
That's what he said. Come back to me, you wayward people. You people that have strayed, you people that have gone in a different direction. He invites them. He says, come back to me. Come back to me. Now, now, now here's what he said. Here's how the attitude of some of it. You, you leave, you've left. <laughs> but God is so patient and so long-suffering that he still stands with his arms wide open and he says, come back to me. You, wait. you chose to go in a different direction. You chose to divorce yourself from me, but the Lord stands with his arms wide open. He says, come back to me. Come back into right relationship with me, you wayward people. And then the rest of it says, it says, I want to cure you. I want to cure your waywardness. Listen to what he's saying here. He says, come back to me, you wayward people, because I want to cure you of the thing that's causing you to become wayward. There's something that's malfunctioning within your life that has you to a place where you keep straying away. He says, until we get to the root of the problem, it's just a matter of time that you will begin to stray away again. It's not, just, it, it's not cured just by pointing out to you that this is, in fact, the problem, but what's causing the problem? That's what the Lord is looking at. What's causing the problem? What, what's behind uh, that's causing one to behave the way he or she is, in fact, behaving? That's something that's malfunctioned within that individual's life. So he is saying, what I want to do, and God is the one that has the power to do that. He says, I want to cure that thing in you that's causing you to be distracted, that's causing you to, to give more attention to those things than the things you ought to be giving attention to. He says, something's gone wrong inside of you. So when he says being transformed, he's saying, I, I want to change you from the inside out so that you won't continue to engage in the activities. You say, well, I, it's better to say, stop doing it. That's much better, different than that. Say, stop acting up. Stop acting a fool. Stop, stop lying. Stop cheating. Stop. Uh, uh, you see, you can say that all you want to, but, as long as, but, but when that opportunity affords itself, Again, guess what the person will do? They will go back to their default setting. But, but he is saying, he is saying in essence, he says, I, I'm not just telling you what you've done wrong, and I'm not just dealing with the wrong that you've done, but I'm dealing with the reason behind you're doing it. What's causing you to think the way you think, to act the way you act? You, you, so something is not working right in you. We talk about the things that's wrong around us, but the Lord is saying, there's something wrong inside of you, and I, I, I want to cure that. I want to cure that thing. He says, I want to cure your waywardness. He says, he says and then he says, I want, to cure, I want to cure your waywardness. Says, here we are. And, and then he says, when you come back, here we are. We come to you because you are the Lord our God. In other words, he says, he says when, when, you, when your waywardness has been cured, then you'll say, here we are, I'm back. He says, and then we've come to you because we have recognized you to be our Lord and our God. How did he put it in the other translation? Let, let's read that. Well, <laughs> but, but, but this, is what, this is what he is saying here. Uh, he says, I will heal their waywardness. I will love 
them lavishly, my anger is played out. That's what it says in the, uh, the message uh, uh, paraphrase. He, say, he says, you will recognize, this was as a new uh, English, he says, we come to you because you are the Lord our God. He says, we recognize you as being the Lord our God. See, uh, what, what, what I read out of the new English translation, it is saying that apparently the Lord was not being recognized as being the Lord any longer. As long as they were wayward, as long as they were going astray, they couldn't see him as a Lord. In other words, his identity was, was shrouded by their behavior. They were so engaged in their activity that they couldn't see him as being the Lord God. He says, but I want to cure you. I, I'm going to kill your eyes. He says, so now your eyes are open and you begin to see me as being the Lord, your God. Not, not, now, uh, I, I begin to look at Jesus Christ now, going back to Christ who is the one we talk about that transforms our lives. This is what he says. The Lord is saying, here's how he transforms us. He says, because I can relate to you. Even though we understand he never strayed, but he was tempted at all points. I mentioned that in the teachings of, on temptation, which I didn't exhaust it. I didn't finish it, but I just, we moved on into this message. But, but understand what he's saying. He said, I can relate to you. I understand those things that happen within your life that will cause you to want to go astray. Because, you see, he came, he was fully human, but he's fully uh, divine. But he says, I recognize within you those things that would tempt you to want to go astray. So here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For every high priest, he is the high priest now, is taken from among men, is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. He said that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Now, now I, I really want to focus on the second verse. He says, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. Now, this word going astray has to do with waywardness. He says, he can have compassion on the wayward. He can have compassion on the wayward. Now, that's something that we have to really give thought to, that the Lord does not just, that's what he says, I will cure you of your waywardness. He said, because I have compassion on the wayward, since he himself is also subject to weaknesses. Even though he did not yield to them, he was still subject to weaknesses. He says, but my objective is to cure you of your waywardness. But how do I do it? I will have compassion upon you. I will have compassion on you, rather. He said, because I like the way he puts it, because your waywardness is out of your ignorance. <laughs> See, you didn't, we mentioned earlier, they had forgotten that he is the Lord God. They had forgotten who they were. They had lost their own identity because they did not recognize who he was. They had no longer saw him as being who he is. He says, so now, he says, they're ignorant, and as a result of the ignorance, they went astray. They begin to go wayward. But he says, but the Lord says, but I, I am not, that's empathy. I don't, I would never go the way you've gone, but I can understand how you could have gone this particular way. 
That's Jesus. Now, in our humanity, sometimes we can't understand that because there are certain things we can relate to, certain things we can't. But we always have to pray, Lord, help me to see others through your eyes. Things that we had not experienced, things that we would never, ever do, never, ever think. But to understand when the Lord loved through us, we can still love those who had gone astray that might not have, uh, that might have gone in ways that we wouldn't have gone ourselves. Because we realize that, uh, that God is it, it, everything that we need, everything that we have need of, it comes from him. And, and I put it this way. I put it this way. We talk about, I talked about God, the Father, that we, uh, as far as being formed, and then Jesus Christ, his Son, as far as being transformed. We're transformed into the very image of his Son. And, and understand, but... All that is radiates from God the Father. Everything that happens, everything that we need, it radiates from God the Father. It, it is His love. God is love. In fact, He is identified as love. It all comes from uh, the Father. Now, now, here's another thing we have to understand, is that as we look at God as being God, we have to understand, I always talk about the eternality of God, that God is looking at the end before the beginning. He's all, his focus is always on the finished product. He says, I see where you are, but I'm already looking at what you will look like when I finish, when I get through with you. I'm, I'm, I see that already. I see what you'll look like when I get, get through with you. All I, need is your, I, all I need is your participation. If you participate with me, We'll get through this together. Whatever it is, we'll get through this thing because I'm determined. You see, if you just stay, let me do my work. And, and here's something else I've learned from the Lord is that it's hard to get rid of him. <laughs> if, if you know what I mean, you sometimes you say, like he said, where should I hide for your presence? Have you ever tried to, have you ever tried to, uh, to, to get rid of him? Lord, Lord, just leave me alone. Let me just move in this thing because I've had enough of this. And then you run smack dab into God again. I, I've been there. I, I call it trying to backslide. <laughs> Willfully trying to backslide. And, and, and then, but then there's so many things that remind you, so many things that happen in life so that you cannot, you cannot, you cannot erase from your mind and your memory all the things that God had already made known to you. You, you can't erase them from your memory. God is making it known to you. But now, here's what happens. Here's when we participate. You say, Lord, now I'm stopping. I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop running. And I want to now learn what it means to really yield. Lord, since you love me, I am convinced of the fact that you love me. I want to learn what it really means to yield to you. I, I, I tried to run these number of weeks, months, years, whatever it is. He said, but now I want to learn what it really means to yield. Because now, you see, you're becoming more and more convinced of his love. This is what the Bible says. The Bible talks about it in Acts chapter 15 and 18. It talks about what God sees. He says, known to God from eternity all his works. He says that God has, he has looked at the things that you're to do. He's looking at the things that you're to go through. When we talk about that, it is saying, in essence, I knew that you would run into that pitfall even before you ran into it. He said, and, and then that looked like that was the end, right? He said, but here's God. God said, well, what I'm going to do, 
I'm going to take that thing that would have been your demise, and I'm going to use that for a greater purpose. Have you seen that? Now, now we, don't, you, you, we don't just engage in stuff just to put God at the test, but the Lord says, I will take that thing, that mess up in your life, and I'll use it for a greater purpose. That's God. That's God. He says, he says now what am I doing? He says, I, I, I'm transforming your failures into success. In fact, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Chan, uh, his first book, and I was, in, I was in that book, and it says, it talks about failure in the womb, uh, success in the womb of failure. I, I have a chapter in that book. In fact, uh, uh, my story is in that book because I told some of my, some of the things that uh, happened before I really knew the Lord as I know him now. It, it's all there. Even how I came to Atlanta, how I met my wife, and why I came to Atlanta, all of that's in that book. Uh, that's that by Dr. Chan. But, but, but understand, I like the title because he is saying that I will take, he said, out of the womb of failures, failures. When you think of failure, you say, well, that's it. You're wiped out. You, you see, you're, you're, you're counted out. But the Lord says, I will take your failures and I will use it. Because here's what he said. He said, now that you have failed, what did you learn from the experience that you were in? Did you learn anything? Did you get anything out of it? Or, or, or do we have to go through more of this to get you to place of convincing you that you can't do this thing on your own? Well, you see, because when we sin, I mentioned this in another teaching, when we sin, it is really a expression of our ignorance. That's something about God that we fail to understand or recognize or realize at that moment at that particular moment. And, and then our objective is to be a place where we are always aware of his presence so that we're not making foolish uh, mistakes and engaged in foolish activities. He says, so now what happens when we mess up? Uh, uh, I think I told the story. What I did when I moved to Atlanta and, and I thought that I had reached the point where I was reprobate. That was really what I thought of myself. I said, well, because I read uh, Hebrews chapter 6, where it says, once you have been enlightened and you've tasted of the heavenly gift, he said, there is no more sacrifice for sin. Now, my interpretation of that, before I knew better, was that when you willfully sin against God, then you have given your soul over to the devil. And so, in other words, you know where you're going. You're going to hell. And I said, well, I, if, since I'm going to go to hell, I might as well go to hell with a, with a splash. I'm going to come to Atlanta then and just really make it big here, business-wise. So when I die, I can at least I say I live large for a while. I took a picture of myself. I was out at the airport. This is right before I met Francine. I took a picture of myself at the airport. And I looked at that picture. Had a bow tie on, suit. And I looked at, I looked at my eyes. I just looked at my eyes, and I said, Lord, look. This is after I was restored. I looked into those eyes, and I said, that's what a condemned man looks like. That's what a person looks like when they have died on the inside. So what happened after I was restored, Bishop Tumlin was telling me, he said, you had not, don't you know, if you had committed the unpardonable sin, it wouldn't even matter. 
you would, it would matter to you. When you commit the unpardonable sin, then you're not seeking uh, to be restored. So what happened, so I carried that picture around, and every time I think foolish, I pull that picture out. <laughs> and I just look at myself. I said, I don't ever in life want to look like that again. Whatever it takes to keep me from looking like that, I'm willing to pay the price. So, so what happens, you see, what happens, the, the, the failure served as a reminder of what it's like to be out of the will of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about miserable. I didn't fit in Cisco's. I didn't fit in Marco's. I didn't fit in, what's that place, figure, what's that, figure eight. I didn't fit. I tried. <laughs> but I was like a, I was against the wall saying, I don't know, I suppose, are we having fun yet? Because I'm not having fun. So somebody tell me if this is really a party. Do you see the attitude? The attitude shifted. Why? Because I had been awakened already. I had been changed on the inside. I had really been transformed, but now I'm trying to fit into an environment that I had been delivered from. I'm telling you this because I want people to understand. That this is where I was. So now, look at what happens. But the Lord says, I knew from eternity. He said, when you stepped into that dark place, I was right there. I was right there. He said, but when I was there, guess what? Light. I turned the dark place into light. I turned your, your, your darkest hour into a bright day. He said, because we talk about a change, it's a changed heart. He said, your heart had been changed even though your life had not been fully transformed. But a changed heart leads to a transformed life. A changed heart leads to a transformed life. God is saying that what I will do if I give you a heart that's after me, then eventually you will have a life that's after me. But I'll begin from the inside, he says, and that which is on the inside will begin to more and more manifest on the outside. He says, so now, what do we do? What do we do? We guard it. You guard it. We guard that which God has given. What is in your hand? Where are you? Who are you? The questions we asked earlier. Once we come to the place of understanding that the place we stand, the things that we've given, is strategic. All that God has placed in our hands, all that God has given us, is a part of his strategy. So what do you do now? You have to guard it. He said, what can I do? What ought I to do to make sure that I never cross the threshold, you see, of making accommodations for the things that I consider to be lacking in my life? Are you hearing me now? Whatever you think, you say, what do I need? The Lord says, I will provide all your need according to 
my riches in glory. What do you need? He says, so now what happens, the things that you thought you could never live without, God says, I can compensate for everything that might appear to be a deficiency within your life. So what did it do now? Transformation now. Your life then. You're walking on the straight and narrow path. Your objective is to fully please him. Your objective at that point is to fully please the Lord above everybody else. I like the scripture, and I'm closing now. Remember I said it, I, I didn't finish at all what he says when Jesus was asking Peter the question because he failed. And he says, now out of your failure, do you love me more than these? Now listen to what he's saying. He's saying, my question was always, why would you have to ask the question? <laughs> because that was a challenge, that was a test. You see, love was on, you see, love was being challenged. He says, do you love me? And then he says, more than these. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than whatever may be in competition for love? He says, and, and Peter began to say, based upon my understanding of love, I do. Well, based upon your understanding, then you can feed them enough but the amount that you feed them will be determined by what you understand. Did you understand me now? What you feed others will be determined by how much you understand. He says, so now what happens, you are restricted from feeding them all that I would have them to receive, but at least you can feed my sheep. Do you love me? Well, based upon the interpretation, you know that I love you. Well, based upon that feed my lamb. So, so then he finally got to the place, do you love me? Uh, Lord, you know all things. Now he is saying, when, when he got to that place of saying, in other words, maybe there is a definition of love that's much deeper than the definition that I give to love. He says, so the Lord is saying, now when you understand the height, depth, width, breadth of my love, then your feeding will take on a different meaning. In other words, it's going to affect the anointing on your life. It's going to affect what you distribute to others because you would have what? Pass the test. Based upon comparisons, based upon your love for other things, you would have proven the fact that you love me more than anything and everything else. He says, so now when you feed others, you're going to feed them the same kind of food I'd feed them. They'll get a five-course meal now. <laughs> they won't have to be fed intravenously. <laughs> you see, they're not just getting something just to stay alive. But they are invited to the banquet table of the Lord. And guess what? That which you would serve them. Now, now, you see, there are different levels of service. There are different levels of anointing. But it's proven through our willingness to walk with God 
fully walk with him and not yield to the pressures that would be brought to bear against us. What did you learn from your failures? How much do you love me now that you have failed the test of love in the past? How much do you really love me now? And I say, Lord, love through me. Love through me. I want your love to flow through me so that it's no longer my love, but it's what you know to be love. I want that to be expressed to others. So, Father, thank you so much for what you're showing us. Thank you, Lord, that you're, deliver, you're delivering us from self, from ourselves, and bringing us to a new place of understanding. Even as we grow in our understanding of Christ, because at one time we just saw him as the baby in the manger. We saw him in, as one who walked the shores of Galilee, and our perception of him was the one who was a miracle worker, but now we see him as the one who paid the awesome price to redeem man. We see the cross. We understand the, the power of his blood and all these things that we beforehand were not even in position to realize. We've grown to realize it and understand it and to embrace it. So, Lord, in this, we just say love through us. Love through us. Let it be your love, Lord, so that we can feed your sheep, feed your babes, your lambs. Feed those, Lord, that are hungry, those that want to feast at your table. When they come to hear your word, they'll get what they need, the direction that comes from heaven. So we give you the praise and we give you the honor and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.